May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and here to help us all be more aware are three scholars from Michigan State University's College of Human Medicine. Claudia Finkelstein directs the Wellness, Resilience, and Vulnerable Populations. Jennifer Johnson is the C.S. Mott Endowed Professor of Public Health and Professor of OBGYN, Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine. And Julia Felton is Assistant Professor in the Division of Public Health and Pediatrics and Human Development. Welcome to all three of you. Jennifer, why don't we start with you? We'll each have you tell each of or each of you tell us a little bit about what you study and sort of from what area of expertise you come to the issue of mental health. Sure. So I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I've been licensed for a lot of years. Um, I have both been in practice and then I research how to improve mental health and substance use services to better serve people, especially women, especially pregnant women um, and uh, folks in uh, vulnerable communities. And Julia? Great. So I am also a licensed clinical psychologist, um, and uh, I primarily study the development of mental health disorders across adolescents, um, and specifically the role that support, support from family and friends plays in the development of these uh, mental health disorders. And Claudia, how about you? So I'm a general internal medicine physician, and over multiple years of practice, I've seen that the vast majority of patients that I've seen, whether outpatient or inpatient, had associated mental health issues. And I have been uh, very involved in studying physician burnout, which is another major mental health issue at the forefront of what's going on today. Frame the issue for us a little bit. We certainly had mental health concerns before the pandemic. I imagine they've been exacerbated now. What is our collective mental health like? Well, I think that it's a very different experience for many different people, depending on how their lives were before and during the pandemic. But I think there's a pervasive sense of grief and transition from normal, right? So your life may be more tranquil or less, but it is certainly different than it was before all of this hit. And I think for many of us, a transition, even when we choose it, is very anxiety provoking. And this enormous transition that is not voluntary, uh, I think so anxiety, grief, and uh, huge uncertainty are the ways that, that I'm framing this, but my mental health colleagues may have more insight. <laughs> Julia, what would you add? Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, from a mental health perspective, what Claudia mentioned about the uncertainty is really crucial here. So I think that um, one thing that we know is that uncertainty is is not a comfortable place for any human to be. We like to know what's going to happen, just like little kids like routines, um, and we like to have our planners as adults. Um, human beings like to know what's going to happen next. And one of the things that we can do right now is to develop a tolerance for uncertainty. But it's really hard, and it goes counter to a lot of the things that human nature uh, breeds for us. 
So that's been, I think, one of the kind of the biggest stumbling blocks is we just don't know how this is going to resolve and how uh, even tomorrow is going to look. And Jennifer, your general assessment of our mental health right now. Yeah, I agree with everything that Julia and Claudia have said. Just to add, you know, this is genuinely difficult. Some people are grieving. Some people are worried about family members who are sick or others who won't stay home. Some are inside with very little children in small spaces. Some are worried about their money, their jobs. Some communities are affected more than others. But, you know, it's just really important to acknowledge that, yes, it is stressful, but and there are also things we can do to help take care of ourselves mentally, emotionally, and physically. And Jennifer, let's stay with you for this question. We said that May is Mental Health Awareness Month. What exactly right now would you like us to be more aware of? You know, I think that there has historically been mental health stigma. Um, There's people that when you say mental health think, oh, something's wrong with me. Um, But mental health is like physical health. It's an indicator of how you're doing. Um, And everybody has ups and downs and being under stress will make you more vulnerable to whatever your weaknesses are physically or mentally. Um, So I guess it's just to recognize that everybody has mental health, good, bad, medium, uh, you know, and it's important to attend to it. And just because you're stressed doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. Julia, what about you? What in particular would you like us to be more aware of? Um, I completely agree with everything Jennifer just said. Um, I also think that we want to be aware of those around us and and our how mental health problems or the ways that things can go wrong can look really different between people. So just because somebody's not responding in the way that you are doesn't mean that they're either totally fine or totally falling apart. Um, but allowing a space for kindness and both for yourself and for the people around you is really important. And understanding that we're all kind of going through this in different ways and it, it might look different in different people. Um, but but understanding that everybody right now is under some level of stress. And Claudia, what would you add as far as what you'd like us to be more aware of regarding our mental health? Well, I would love everybody to know how completely normal it is to feel completely abnormal right now. And that um, all, all bets are really off in terms of how your mood might be or how the people you interact with might be. So I would agree with Julia in terms of a lot of self-compassion and with Jennifer in terms of compassion for those of all around you. We can assume that everybody's having a tough day and try to assume that they are all doing their best. And the three of you recently wrote a piece for the conversation about as we see more and more states reopen and every state will have to reopen eventually, some of the emotional PPE. We hear a lot about the PPE that the first responders and healthcare workers need. Talk about, Julia, let's start with you, the the emotional PPE. What were you describing? 
Absolutely. So I think that the um, emotional PPE that we need to build up um, comes at a lot of different levels. So there is for ourselves this level of compassion that Claudia spoke about um, and understanding that it's going to take a little while or it could take a little while to readjust to the new normal, whatever that looks like. But that that there are also levels at which the community can respond and the institution uh, that you work at or the business that you work at can also respond to help buffer some of these, um, to help buffer some of these things. And Jennifer, what thoughts do you have on the emotional PPE? Sure. So, you know, I have a couple of different angles. The first is, you know, things you can do to manage your own stress and anxiety and um, that of people around you. You know, it's a lot of the things you would do to take care of your body, exercising, um, eating well, getting enough sleep, um, not using too many substances, um, you know, taking your prescribed medications. But then it's, you know, things you can do for yourself psychologically, keeping a schedule, taking breaks from the news, doing things you enjoy, just taking a minute to breathe sometimes. And then, you know, if you're an employer or in charge of people coming back, explaining to them clearly what you've done to make their environment physically safe, but also thinking about making it psychologically safe in terms of listening to them, listening to their concerns, um, not dismissing their thoughts, feelings, or experiences, asking them what they need, and maybe just being a little more flexible than usual. And Claudia, what about you? Well, I think the base of the pyramid of needs is crucial. So as Jennifer was saying, attending to your sleep and food and substances. And then I would add limiting the the external stuff that you take in, not only in terms of substances, but in terms of sort of inflammatory media or things, you know, there's no shortage of things that can make us nervous or anxious. So limiting that and making a conscious effort to find a few things that give you joy or levity. I mean, this is the ideal time to watch stupid puppy videos or to listen to music that's inspiring. I think not only avoiding the the drags on your mood, but also deliberately including things to foster um, joy, laughter, connection, even though it's tough try to schedule those because they will fortify your resilience as you go back also. And Jennifer, we talked before about how we all have normal ups and downs. Uh, How do we know either in ourselves or in loved ones we're observing it's time to get some professional help? Yeah. And, you know, to go back to what um, I think it was Julia said earlier, people show stress in different ways, right? So, For some, it looks like anger. For some, it looks like changes in sleep or eating. In kids, it can look like crying, irritability, and, you know, pain, different kinds of physical pains. Um, I think if you are getting to a point where there's this phrase, they call it clinically significant distress, but it just means if you're uncomfortable enough that something's really bothering you, or if you see someone around you uncomfortable enough 
you know, if they're in distress, um, that's one reason to potentially call someone. Or if you notice you're having trouble pretty consistently doing things that you used to be able to do, um, you know, whatever's going on, your stress is interfering with your ability to do work, um, your ability to sleep. Um, you know, it doesn't hurt to talk someone, talk to someone just like you might go to a, a physical doctor for a checkup. Um, you know, it doesn't hurt to go talk to somebody about what you're feeling, what you're experiencing and the stress that you're under. And Julia, what are some signs you would look for in yourself or others? To echo some of the things that Jennifer said, um, when it really starts to impair your ability to do things and to function on a typical level, it's hard because right now everyone is impaired in their functioning. Um, but but for people that you know are really having a hard time just even managing to get through the day without feeling over overwhelmed. I think that that's where we might want to start to think about trying to gather some support for those people. And there's a lot of different ways to get support. Um, there is uh, support uh, that you can access online. There are um, different resources, hotlines. Um, there are different things that you can kind of consider going through to see what is a good fit for you and your needs right now. A good place to always start, though, if you have any concerns, is to call your doctor um, and just talk through them what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, um, and and ask them for some recommendations. Great. And Claudia, are there some signs you'd look for in addition? Yeah, I, I like to think about some early warning signs. Um, we all have our ways of coping that may be functional up to a point, but then become dysfunctional. So I have a friend who talks about the Oreo sign, you know, when when the number of Oreos starts disappearing at an alarming rate or when the number of bottles start appearing in your recycling at a faster rate or the number of Amazon boxes. You know, it's starting to look at your own individual tells of when things, you know, you're engaging in behaviors much more than usual and may be a sign that you are looking for self-soothing. So I think as with anything, the earlier you notice and the earlier you take steps, the less drastic those steps need to be. So I agree, a conversation with your primary care doctor is a great start. There are great resources online. In Michigan State now, the app of Headspace is free for all Michigan residents, and it's a wonderful resource, not for when you're in crisis, but in terms of um, building your own resilience day to day. And Jennifer? Yeah, and just to add to that, um, I love that idea of early warning signs. Another is if you've lost interest in things you usually enjoy, or if there's things that you usually get really excited about or care about and you just don't, um, that's another early warning sign. Are there either some facts you'd like to reinforce about mental health or some myths you'd like to shoot down? And uh, Julia, why don't we start with you? Oh, goodness. So many. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, one place to start is uh, is that uh, that there's something wrong with you if you are experiencing symptoms of depression or anxiety or some other quote-unquote mental health disorder. Um, that all of these things exist on a spectrum. And as humans, we all fluctuate 
um, across that spectrum at different points in our lives. Because as we've talked about, this is such a stressful period, we can expect that everyone's going to be going through some of these things. Um, And that it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you or that you're always going to feel this way. But rather, this is just how you're feeling right now. And it might be something that, you know, you can watch a, a funny dog video online and feel a little bit better. Or it might be something that you need to attend to in a more specific way, like reaching out to a dog doctor to get help. But that that doesn't mean that there's anything, you know, wrong with you that's going to, or that you'll stay feeling this way for, um, for the rest of your life. So I would just encourage people to, again, show a little compassion to yourself and get the help that you need right now. Claudia, facts or myths? I think one uh, adage that I live by is that it's never all in your head and it's never all in your body. You know, I think that we have done a disservice in splitting the mental and the physical health because I think they're intimately uh, related to each other. And so I think that uh, number one, realizing that each affects the other, even as simply as, you know, that crazy Snickers commercial where the person is all angry until they eat something. So, you know, hunger, sleep, all of these things affect your mental health and your mental health affects how your body experiences pain, et cetera, et cetera. So it's never all one or the other. That's one thing. The other is that everybody's got something. I don't think that there is a person alive who has impeccable physical or mental health. There's always something. And it's extremely legitimate and an act of service to all the people that interact with you to get help when you need it. It doesn't mean you're weak. It means you are keeping yourself tuned, just like you keep your car tuned to deal with what it deals with every day. Jennifer Johnson, some facts and myths about our mental health. Sure. So first fact is that, you know, 20, 26% of U.S. adults will have a diagnosable mental health disorder within any given year. So I completely agree with Claudia, what both Claudia and Julia have said, that we all have physical health. We all have mental health. Sometimes it's terrible. It's almost never perfect, but it you know, fluctuates sometime in between. And really, you know, in any given year, a quarter of people in the U.S. will have a diagnosable mental health disorder. But, you know, a lot of folks may be sort of sub-threshold or showing stress in some areas, and that's just part of life. Um, I think the other thing I would love to put out there is that it's, it's not always you. Often it's a situation, and sometimes it's a combination of both, right? So, Um, I mean, obviously, there are uh, vulnerabilities to things that are genetic, but um, almost anyone, if you put them under enough stress, will show some kind of symptoms. And so often it's the situation. So, for example, I do some suicide prevention work. And one of the phrases I wish I could ban from the English language is the person has, quote unquote, suicidal tendencies because it doesn't make sense. The research on suicide shows that it's not a state um, that people tend to live in or not live in. It's often strongly situational and somebody can have a suicidal thought and then it goes away and might have one 20 years later. 
And so I don't like the language or the idea that locates the mental health challenge inside the person, um, especially, you know, thinking of that as stable over time because it's situational, it fluctuates. And I think when we don't recognize that, we fail to see a lot of the things that can be done to be helpful because often changing the situation completely solves the problem. This has just been some great information from all three of you. Thank you. And before we go, a a two-part question, Jennifer, why don't we stay with you? Just if you have a favorite online resource or two to share, and then just either something uh, I've made you think of that you want to add or just what you'd like to summarize about uh, keeping us all more aware of mental health. Jennifer? Yeah. And, you know, I almost hate to say this because it's jumping to the most some of the most serious mental health issues. And I really do think that, you know, there are much more mild issues, but the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, if you Google that, um, they have some really great advice to how to to talk to somebody you're worried about. Um, I think sometimes people are afraid when they think someone's down, they don't know what to say. They're afraid to ask if they're thinking about suicide because they think they'll give them the idea. And the research shows that that just isn't the case. And um, that American Foundation for Suicide Prevention um, page has some really nice suggestions about how to talk to somebody, you know, what to do, what to ask, and, and then when to try to get help. And just in summary again, Jennifer, what should we be aware of? You know, be aware that everyone has physical health. Everyone has mental health. They fluctuate up and down. Um, if you put anyone under enough stress, you'll start to see um, less good mental health. And so often it's about the situation, about what the person needs in the moment, not you know a pile of people who have good mental health and a pile of people who have bad mental health. We go back and forth and often it's situational and there's things you can do to help. Julia, maybe a favorite resource and some closing thoughts? I think that thinking about uh, kids right now, kids that you might be at home with, um, kids that might be in your community, one great resource is the National Child Traumatic Stress Network. Um, They have um, a wonderful website that has lots of uh, different referrals and resources for people to check out, including um, symptoms that parents should be particularly aware of in their children if things are, are getting really bad for kids. Um, and they also have lots of places to point kids towards um, and, and families towards um, if they need a little bit more help. I think in summary, I think that uh, this is uh, to echo what a, a bunch of people have said on this call already, that this is a really tough time. Um, but but starting with a little compassion, both for yourself and for others, if we can come from the perspective that both we and everybody else around us are doing the best that we can, it might make the situation a little bit more tolerable. Here, here. And Claudia Finkelstein, maybe a favorite resource and some closing thoughts. Sure. I love the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So it's NAMI.org. They have tons of resources if you're worried about your own or a loved one's mental health. They have videos, they have how to sign up for support groups, etc. And I guess the the closing thoughts are kind of strange. Uh, it goes along the lines of never waste a good crisis. Right. So this is a crisis that is bringing to light 
many of the things that have been in the shadows in our society. And one of them is the need to attend to our own and each other's mental health, just as a basic fact of life. Bravo. Well said. Thank you all so much for your your insight and giving us this great information today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. That was three scholars from our Michigan State University College of Human Medicine discussing our collective mental health since May is Mental Health Awareness Month. You heard from Claudia Finkelstein, who is Director of Wellness, Resilience, and Vulnerable Populations. Jennifer Johnson is the C.S. Mott Endowed Professor of Public Health and Professor of OBGYN, Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine, and Julia Felton, Assistant Professor in the Division of Public Health, Pediatrics, and Human Development.